The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Good evening and welcome to Managing to be Wealthy. This is your host for the evening, Craig Konstantinovich, and with me in studio here, Mr. Tony Payne, both of us certified financial planners. Tony, how we doing? It's another great day for financial planning. You know, you say that, and I always feel like I need to see the the red sweater come down. You tie your shoes. The Mr. Rogers effect. You know what? I'd like to call you all my neighbors. (laughs) You know, this is fun. When we do this stuff, honestly, you've heard me say it, but Mm -hmm. we love what we do. I love what we do. We are doing good things for families and people out there trying to navigate a very complex system. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited when we get to do what we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the best part is a lot of times the best content that we get comes from our avid listeners. Uh, So tonight, actually, exactly that. Uh, one of our avid listeners, Mr. Matthew B., gave us a topic that he said was something that he had heard a lot of people ask questions about and something he wanted to kind of check off the list. Uh, so in this case, back to the basics, just taking a look at the importance of reviewing your cash flow. Oftentimes people call it budgeting, but we know why that doesn't always work. Uh, and then al- also looking at some of the rules of thumb that we should have for as far as what milestones should we be reaching. How can we evaluate if we're on track, if we may not have the fun, fancy tools or maybe all the knowledge uh, that comes with working with a certified financial planner? Um, so that's what we're going to focus on here for the majority of the show, but would be remiss if we didn't touch on some of the hot takes of what's been happening here recently. So, Tony, I got to ask, any fun headlines, any, any crazy news that's been coming up here this past week? I wouldn't call it crazy, but if we say expected unexpected news it's the fed raising rates again Mm -hmm. i mean that's something that's been a big talking point all week you know we finally can say goodbye to the queen that's not the talking point anymore but the fed is yep and i think that's a big headline that matters a lot i mean if they're trying to slow down inflation part of the way you do that's by raising rates slowing the economy down and that's what's happening yeah and i know a lot of people are immediately looking at that as to saying okay well the ripple effect that comes with rising interest rates. Mortgage rates are going to go up, but also savings accounts interest rates should be going up with that. Now, not all of them will, but obviously that would be the goal or the anticipation. But Tony, any other unexpected or unintended effects that rising interest rates tend to have? Well, aside from generally slowing things down in the real estate market and housing slowing down, sometimes it does slow down just business growth in general because you think about the cost of capital. Mm -hmm. How much does it take to raise funds for my investment or borrow money? When that cost of capital goes up, it's more expensive to do projects, and some projects just don't seem worth it anymore. So, I mean, when you talk about what are some unintended consequences – that's probably the biggest one are the projects that won't happen. Yeah, absolutely. And again, there's you know always uh, reasons to have debt, to not necessarily fear the interest rates that are tied to them. 
you know, again, just because rates are going up doesn't mean that leveraging yourself or keeping cash in your pocket and using someone else's cash for your business venture, for your real estate purchase, whatever, that can still be a very prudent thing to do. But obviously, buyer beware, uh, as we've talked about here in the past. Um, so obviously, again, one of the big headlines that we've seen here this week. Uh, Tony, again, I know you know we're in this day-to-day. We kind of see things. But yeah. another thing that I saw here uh, that actually one of our other planners had forwarded along, uh, cities gaining and losing the most millionaires by wealthmanagement.com and their entire staff there. That one was fun. Right? I mean, it's amazing to see how much money has been moving. And, you know, normally there's some of the suspects that are out there where you think, Okay, higher income tax states like California, New York, probably going to be seeing some kind of exodus if there's mega wealthy people that are there. But Tony, what were some of the surprises or what were some of the more intriguing situations we were seeing? Well, it's definitely about really, I guess every they say everything's about location and maybe it is. Because despite some of these higher taxes, there are actually millionaires going to these higher tax environments in most cases. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny when you look at California, there's more millionaires coming in than leaving. But you think about the working people, there's more people making lower incomes leaving. Right. So there's definitely a disparity happening there. And I don't think that's sustainable over the long term. But that's part of what we were seeing or some of those surprises is people or places where we thought, may not want to attract those, you know, basically higher tax bills. They seem to still be doing it somehow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, you know, like, I, like you said, there's some intrigue or some surprise to it. But, you know, last on the list here, high net worth individual growth for the past year or year to date to June of this year, down 12% in New York, New York. So, again, not, again, not necessarily a surprise, so to speak, but – just kind of looking at the numbers. So we have that being one of the worst um, as far as the individuals that are coming or going. We start to get positive as we creep into uh, number 11. That's where we get Washington, D.C., where they had a modest growth of about 1% of high net worth individuals. But also as you look at it, as we creep further and further up the list, one that I may not necessarily have thought of, and Tony, I don't know if you were surprised by this at all, but Greenwich, Connecticut, growth of about 5%. Now, Connecticut's not necessarily known as one of the higher income tax states, but certainly not on the lowest end of the spectrum there, but seems like it's getting a lot of attention for people. Right. And I mean, we've always known traditionally Connecticut, Jersey. I mean, these are the feeders into the city. So if you're working one of those great jobs in New York or something, you may live outside. So part of that, and I'm with you too, I was surprised by it, but going through the analysis, Mm -hmm. well, if you don't have to go into the city and you could work from home, why wouldn't you just work from home? Exactly. So it seems like that may have shifted some of these numbers too a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And then the the city that had the largest growth in high net worth individuals that joined their state or joined their city, Austin, Texas. Again, intriguing. Not sure that necessarily anything's to be taken away from that per se. But as we look at this, usually when you start seeing high net worth individuals start to move, they've got either some kind of business connections or business ties. Um, so there may be more growth opportunities or more potential jobs that could be forthcoming for those areas. Uh, so just something, again, found intriguing, thought it was interesting, thought we'd share the numbers here. Um, but getting into it today, again, like we had talked about, 
uh, looking at cash flow. And Tony, I know you talk about this all the time, very adamant about the importance of this, but refresh us here. Cash flow, what, what is it? Why is it important? And you know, what's a good way to kind of measure our cash flow? Excellent. First, let's define it. And I had someone joke with me once in the meeting, you know, cash flow, that's just it flowing out, right? I mean, cash flows everywhere. Cash flows all over the place. That's not what we mean. Mm -hmm. That's just outgoing money. <laughs> in this case, cash flow is what's coming in, yep. what's going out, and that can be over a month, a day, a week. What we really try to do is build out a year's worth, and that way you've got a, a decent idea of the high months, the low months, the months with the surprises or property taxes or 10 birthdays. You know, the idea is you want to know what you are spending, and that in turn is your cash flow. Yep. You know, where's my money coming in? Where's it going out? And a lot of times people call this a budget, and I know we obviously tend to steer away from it because budgets almost seem too rigid. You know, a lot of people think, okay, well, if I'm going to try to to keep myself accountable here and I've got a fast food budget for the given month of $100, okay, well, if I spend $200 but I spent $100 less in, in groceries, am I really setting myself up for failure or am I setting myself behind? And that's not necessarily the case. So that's why, again, like you had said, cash flow, understanding what's coming in versus what's going out. Now, if there's leakages, then it becomes important as to where. Oh, but leakages. We'll come back to those. Yes, those we will. Yes, we will. We're actually coming up on a hard break here, so we'll be right back. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Good evening and welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Craig Konstantinovich and Anthony Payne here tonight with you, talking all things cash flow, budgeting, those kind of things. I know we're listening out there tonight, likely on the airwaves, but... For those of us that may be catching this on the recording or wanting to look at finding this at a different opportunity or a different time, uh, feel free to look up Managing to be Wealthy anywhere where you get podcasts, Spotify, the Apple I, uh, iTunes Store, whatever the case may be. Uh, but definitely check that out, subscribe, follow, and that way you'll get noticed whenever new episodes are released. Uh, but Tony, we were talking about it ahead of the break here last, uh, but cash flow, obviously, you know, budgeting sometimes is synonymous with it. Uh, but the reason why we break away from budgeting is it doesn't matter necessarily where the money is going necessarily unless there are leakages. Leakage is what you wanted to make sure that we've honed in on here. So what are leakages, Tony, or how can we possibly identify those and adjust if needed? Let's say this as simple as we can. Please. Leakages in cash flow are the things you didn't plan to spend. If you went through and did what you said, the budget, and you said, these are the things I have to have, all the things that weren't on that list, we could call leakages. Mm -hmm. And the idea, and Craig, you, you know, as we think of this, sometimes it's good to give analogies even, you know, budget, why do we not like budget? Because budget sounds a lot like diet. It's not about budgeting or dieting. It's about right. living healthy. It's about making the right choices. So you don't have to necessarily budget if you're living within or below your means and you know what your cash flow is and where it's going. But when you're someone who has a lot of leakages, 
and the money just kind of flows out and you're not sure where it was going you didn't plan on that that's where this cash flow thing becomes crucially important because if you're living paycheck to paycheck or you're not saving for yourself you know we've seen all the stats people with great jobs making six figures sometimes are living paycheck to paycheck and part of it is they just don't have a handle on their cash flow mm -hmm. so that's why we think it's so important to identify where are those leakages and at least know when maybe i should say no you know, those hated two letters. You oh, know, yeah. N O, no, I'm not going to buy this concert ticket. I'm not going to go upgrade the car. I'm not going to go get a new, whatever it might be. But those are the kinds of things that turn into leakages. Yeah, absolutely. And the hardest part, too, is I mean, again, just think about it. When we're thinking about cash flow right now, a lot of people use their bank's online bill pay features or auto pay. You're not necessarily going back and looking at, okay, well, how much came out of the account this past month specifically for the electric bill, the gas bill? Hey, I spent, you know, $2,000 on my credit card this last month. I'm probably not going to go back through and say, hey, how much did I spend on, again, picking on things here, but fast food, shopping. I'm not going to necessarily look there and, and see the breakdown necessarily. But the hardest part is as more and more people get out there, with their credit cards, with various cards offering rewards, with some needing direct payments, you may have four or five accounts that account for your cash flow, and you may not have one easy access or easy way to look at all of them at once. So that way you can really understand, hey, I know I had my you know, Visa uh, credit card bill come up this month. I knew it was $3,000, but I guess I didn't realize I had my property taxes that were paid out too. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there with $1,000 left in my checking my account, scratching my head saying, where did it all go? Right. And to your point, Craig, I mean, part of this is identify the actual expenses. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're doing your budget or living expense sheet, whatever you want to call it, and you write down oh, $1,000 to Visa. Well, that's just a card payment. That's not what you're really spending the money on. Now, some of that might be interest. Some of that might be current charges. Then you break down, well, what were the current charges? Mm -hmm. But the more you can understand where money went, and this is the fun part of the process, usually when it keeps staring you in the face, what were leakages, the next time you're in that position, you remember your data. Yep. So we've met with people, ultra wealthy people where they didn't worry about their spending so much, but we still have them go through that exercise of what are you spending now? Mm -hmm. And just by going through that exercise, you identify some things that may be leakages that you just forgot about or weren't important. So if you're someone who does believe, I, I need to manage my money, mm -hmm. doing this every so often is really important. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, we can get into any number of rabbit holes with how this may impact your overall financial plan, but I, I'll go out on a limb here and I'll say roughly 60 to 70% of the people that we meet with, the very first time we bring up cash flow, they say, oh, I think I spend this. I would approximate that I'm spending this. I believe it's around this number. But when we actually have them sit down and start looking at it deliberately, it's amazing how many times the first sentence that they say when they come back and sit down, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was spending so much on X. Right. 
to your Sometimes point, double. Yeah. I mean, when you sit the first time and you say, what do you think you're spending about? And then you go through and get all the nitty gritty details yeah. and you get the kids gifts in there and you get the property tax in there and you get that trip that you forgot about three months ago in there. It's amazing. And, and for us, the important part is not that you went out and spent so much. It's that you have enough to continue doing that. Well, and, and honestly, one of my favorite parts, too, to look at it is a lot of times for those people that are, you know, working for someone, getting their deductions and everything else, when you look at that, a lot of times they don't include that as far as an expense. But when you start to add some of those forced savings into play, some of those other deductions or some of those other benefits that we may be paying for, a lot of people just kind of say, hey, I got my direct deposit. I know what's sitting in my checking account. They don't go back and look at their pay stub to say, well, gee, looking at it, my health insurance cost me $258 this month. It cost my employer $400 this month. I guess I didn't realize I could have had almost another $600 if I didn't have the health insurance through my employer. Or that rude awakening when you do leave work, and if you were at some place, perhaps it was very generous with their health care plan, that's on you now. Yeah. And for the most part, unless you accounted for that, that can be a significant change. I mean, the numbers you're throwing around, Craig, they're maybe on the low end. Oh, yeah. If you're not talking about a family and a couple kids, I mean, it's easily in the thousands of dollars. So especially for those who think about retiring prior to 65, knowing the ins and outs of what you're spending on your medical coverage is really, really important, especially if you ever want to be self-reliant and not rely on your employer for those benefits. Right. Well, and the other thing too, you know, again, if you're guessing at what you're spending, how can you build a plan around what you want to spend when you're in retirement? I guess I'm going to spend this. I think I'm going to go on this trip. I think I'm going to have this gift I'd like to make to family members. Well, if all of a sudden we were guessing and now we're playing catch up at that point, you may have already been retired for three, four, five, ten years but you haven't stepped on the scale, so to speak, to check, hey, is this lifestyle sustainable for my expected lifetime? Now, all of a sudden, we create, number one, an issue. Then we have possibly, while we're still working, caring for our families, life insurance. That may be a different number that we may need altogether. So I know you've mentioned it, Tony, but cash flow really is the, the blood of what keeps a strong financial plan in place. Yeah, I can't help but go back to the analogies of diet and exercise and all that good stuff. But when you're in your 20s and you slam that stack of cheeseburgers, you may not see it. It may not add up. It's kind of like that in financial planning. You know, some of those mistakes that you made early on, you may not remember it. It might have been easier to get over. But if you keep that stuff up when your body's slowing down and you really need the good stuff, it's going to backfire. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, too, you know, again, using some technologies. We'll come back and talk about this here in a little bit as we're coming up yet again on another good break, but there's a number of ways that you can track this. There's no perfect answer, but there is a perfect answer for you and what's most accommodating for your lifestyle. Uh, but like I said, we're coming up on a break here. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy. This is your host, Craig Konstantinovich, and with me, Tony Payne. Uh, we've been talking about cash flow and you know, making sure that we have a good understanding of where it is, what it is, why it is, what it is. Uh, but we understand that your scenario, your situation may be a little bit more unique 
than some of the details that we're talking about here. Uh, so by all means, we offer up a complimentary consultation meeting that could be held either virtually or in our office at Bethel Grove. Uh, if that's something of interest to you, feel free to reach out to us. You can call us directly at 614-326-3077, or you can visit our website, managingtobewealthy.com. In the top right-hand corner, there's a Take Action button. Uh, that'll get you set up, some preliminary information, and then we'll ask you to complete a more robust, secure online questionnaire that completing will make your time with a certified financial planner of our office much more efficient and effective to figure out how we can help you manage to be wealthy. Well, Tony, again, I know this is your favorite topic here, and we've kind of been talking about why we step on the scale here to continue your diet analogy, what it can impact here, the leakages that could be out there. Uh, so I guess for someone that may be brand new, maybe they've never actually sat down and tried to create a cash flow worksheet or a budget. What tips would you offer? What advice would you give to someone in that scenario? Man, you're really getting to the core of what gets me excited. I'm here. trying. Because, I'm trying. And, and this is the fun. I mean, this is it. When we get to go out and meet with younger people or get in the classrooms with young people. I mean, this is the core. This is where it starts. If you're going to start and have a great financial life, it usually comes from managing cash flow. It doesn't matter your economic circumstances. It truly doesn't. If you came from wealth and means and had a great inheritance, but you can't manage your cash flow, you're going to blow it. Yep. And on the opposite end, if you were someone with very modest means, you didn't have a lot, you can manage your cash flow and leverage that over time. There's going to be a real positive economic result. Absolutely. So, and that's where, too, Tony, I mean, you, you think about it again, just to jump in on you yeah, here, you but, know, you're fine. you know, especially with the name, image, and likeness, a lot of the professional athletes that are out there, all of those scenarios that we hear about someone going broke almost immediately after they reach retirement, it's because they don't take the time to look at it. They're too focused on their craft, on their business, on their day-to-day. -day. They don't understand what it costs to keep the house going, the boat, the cars. Now, that's an extreme example, but exactly like you're saying, if you aren't stepping on the scale or monitoring this, you can very quickly go through thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. When what you're saying, too, is part of the importance of it, because I've been privileged to meet with enough uh, wonderful people that I've heard a few times, well, we aren't adding any debt. We're never putting money on the credit cards. At the end of the month, we spend what we have and we have a little left over. Aren't we doing great? Well, it depends. Mm -hmm. If that income is sustainable for forever, perhaps, if it's going to grow with inflation, perhaps, but if at some point that income can change, not that you expect it to, but if that's business dividends or maybe bonuses through work or commissions from a lot of great sales, you know, you can start to perhaps think, I don't have to worry about this cash flow stuff. I've got all the money I need. I'm not adding debt. But the idea is if that income changes, are you still okay? And if you're not still okay, that's the importance of building some reserves up so that you do have the the ability when things stop or when life happens that you're not going back to, oh, what do I cut? What do I cut on my expenses? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're setting money aside and you know what you need for your expenses, it's a lot easier to deal with life. Yep. You know, that job loss or that interruption because mom fell down the stairs and you got to go take care of her for a month. You know, these are real things that happen to people. And if you're not prepared, there's a bad economic consequence. Absolutely. And so to, to build off of that, too, you're 
your tracking mechanism, however you choose to do it, whether it's using technology like Mint or you need a budget or personal capital or any one of the numerous expense tracking tools that are out there, or if you're just using a spreadsheet or sitting down at the table and handwriting it every single day, whatever the case may be, one of the first things that you should always do is have a line item in there or have an expense, if you will, of paying yourself first, building that cash reserve, having a sufficient rainy day fund. Because like you talked about, Tony, leakages or other areas where things could be spent, you may not have the same cookie cutter expenses every single month. So it's best to have some excess set aside where, yeah, it may sting a little to take some out of savings. But if you know that, hey, this month I may have a dozen birthday parties, which means a dozen gifts that I have to get. Next month, I've only got two. Well, that right there, if you plan for a dozen birthdays every single month and you just pocket what the difference is, now all of a sudden you've got that excess savings, that excess capabilities where next year when that time comes around, you've already got that money set aside and you're prepared for it. Right. I mean, the, the core of pay yourself first is what you're really hitting to mm -hmm. where a lot, I, I've seen it, I've done it. I remember growing up and just the way you were taught almost and the way I did it. What do I have in income this week? What do I have for bills? What do I need to set aside for the monthly bills? And then here's what's left at the end. Mm -hmm. Just kind of normal math that I think a lot of people do. But what you need to do and what we encourage strongly is flip that. Mm -hmm. What do I need to save first? I've got to put that number at the top of my deductions right. before I get to the car payment or the fun stuff or the cell phone. You know, what is it that I need to save for my rainy day? Mm -hmm. And the quicker you can move that up the priority list, the better it's going to be for your overall cash flow. Right. And again, as we've kind of looked at this too, another bit of advice or another tidbit that I would offer to people is our favorite saying, kiss, keep it simple, smarty. So mm, with that, mm, that's an adjustment. Craig. All right. All right, all right. <laughs> well, hey, you You've know, got, got a daughter now. Okay, exactly. Exactly. Right, I'm right. trying to build this so that way she can listen to it later on. <laughs> okay. um, but based off of that, I mean, again, if, if we're looking at it, you probably shouldn't be out there signing up for the old Navy credit card, the Target uh, credit card, uh, signing up for J.C. Penney's, any of those big department stores. The more cards or the more opportunities you have to spend money at certain places the more difficult you're going to make your life in tracking what you're actually spending. Not to impugn any of those fine retailers, but I, there is a reason why they created the store card. Yep. It's not for your convenience. Exactly. It is so that they have a ready way to say, oh, wouldn't you like to buy something now? Right. We'll let you buy it now. You just pay us back later. Yeah. It's almost that person on the street corner trying to incentivize you to do something because they know you'll get trapped into a cycle forever. You mean pay interest on that credit card for, oh, let's no. say, all, you know, 15 years again, or something like that to get it paid off? And you look at the, again, pick whatever it is, that nice cashmere sweater. You went out and got that last winter for the office party or something. You carried that $80 debt at 20% interest. You didn't going up, pay the Tony. Whole thing up, right? Going up with and the Fed raising up. rates. Yeah. So perhaps 28 or 30. Now it's a year later, and you've again used that store card. Maybe got your bonus points or whatever. But at the end of the day, that $80 sweater is now more like 160. Mm -hmm. It about doubled, and that's the idea of if you can manage your cash flow and use your money. Money becomes less expensive when you're not paying interest on it. Right. And and again, the whole purpose of budgeting, of, of looking at your cash flow, it is not to, you know, live like a miser, so to speak. It's 
to empower you when you make those decisions. You have to build in fun money. That is absolutely a piece of life. But if you do it too far, or if you have too much of that fun money expense, well, that means that your fixed or your required lifestyle expenses, they should be pretty doggone low. And then obviously vice versa would be the preferred route, but you have to build in savings, you have to build in fun stuff, and you have to build in covering your necessities, whatever they may be. So again, continue to monitor that, take a look at it, especially as you get started to keep it manageable, look at it once a month. Just kind of see where things are at, make sure you're still tracking in the right direction. We got another hard break coming up here, but when we get back, we'll pick up on this a little bit more. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Good evening and welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Been with you tonight. This is Craig Constantinovich and Tony Payne talking all things cash flow, budgeting, all of those fun things. But Tony, now to take maybe a step back or maybe change directions a little bit, we've talked about the importance of knowing it, what tools may be available to track it, why it's important and what it can impact. As we look at it, a lot of times people look for rules of thumb to kind of jumpstart their next opportunities or look at maybe, hey, how much house can I afford? How can I make sure that I am healthy and still on track with some of my goals? What rules of thumb do you tend to use for the masses? I know we tend to shy away, obviously, for for the people we work with. You're stealing but... my answer now, Craig. You're stealing <laughs> my answer. Well, I, I... What rule of thumb do I stick to? Yeah. None of them. It depends. It really does, though. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you stick to some of this just common knowledge, you know, what people call common knowledge, I guess... It can lead to some disastrous effects. Absolutely. You know, what state you live in, what's your tax rate, that's going to depend how much home you can afford rather than maybe three times income or something like that. You know, the idea of how much consumer debt as a percentage, you know, should it be 30%? Should it be 20%? Well, what are your savings goals? What's your income? How many children do you have? This is where some of these rules of thumb can really get people into trouble because they hear it, they think they're doing the right thing, but then there's a lot of qualifiers that are behind that. So again, I think we can list some that people think of a lot, Mm -hmm. but hopefully you are taking the concept because all these rules of thumb have a concept behind them. Right. You know, the consumer debt ratio, basically. The idea of how much should you have in fun stuff as a debt versus how much should you have in real money? Mm -hmm. Well, that's just a concept, really. You know, that's to say, are you gonna be able to save enough? And if you really crunch your numbers, maybe it's higher, maybe it's lower than that 20 or 30%. But that's where, again, I, I try to shy away from those. And when I get a one-on-one situation, let's just throw that out the window and look at you. Right. But, yeah. yeah. You know, there's mean, a lot of fun ones out there. There's, there's absolutely a lot of fun ones out there. But, I mean, again, you, you bring up good points. This is the beauty of financial planning. You know, I know a lot of people right now, one of the financial waves in the world that's out there is – this fire, you know, the idea that we can retire early. But financial independence, retire early. I, That's what you're referring. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. I well, I wanted to go to the abbreviated acronym oh, there, okay. but <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, but again, I mean, with that, there's a lot of trade-offs. There's a lot of considerations. A lot of things that factor into it. And if you, if that was your goal, was to retire as early as humanly possible, 
Well, to your point, these rules of thumb don't apply. Exactly. You basically need to be saving 80% of your income, essentially, and living on 20. Ballpark numbers, of course. Yeah, a rule of thumb, yeah, yeah, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, no, I mean, again, because of goals, because of independence, you may want to shy away from these. And we went through, and you did it, Craig. You found a couple of the good ones there that people have just been told or taught, you know, the idea of how many times of your salary should you have in life insurance. Mm -hmm. Something that completely depends if you're a young single person who just got out and you're renting and building your financial life, you may not need any life insurance. If you're someone who has multiple children and a spouse who stays at home, you may need more than a rule of thumb for life insurance. Yep. So the idea is look at your situation, know your numbers, and then you can apply the concept behind these rules to you. Right. And that's what's really important, I think. Well, and even to that point, just think about how much your salary changes over time. Does that mean I have to revisit it every single year and get more insurance just because my salary goes up? No, no, of course not. In fact, if we're doing things right, we truly and firmly believe that your need for life insurance should decrease over time. So you shouldn't be trying to, in your 50s, go out and get two times your annual salary when you're bringing in a quarter million bucks. May not even need any life insurance. So again, it all depends on it. But if we're looking for just kind of, hey, where can I start? What can I look at? The first rule or the first thing that I would recommend is understand the difference between gross income and net income. Gross income is the income that we would be paid if there were no deductions, no other expenses, anything else. Our net income is what actually hits our bank account what may be direct deposited, what we are paid for our work. The reason why that's so important is so many of these rules of thumb vary, and they may vary just at that sheer number. Right. So if you're earning 125000 per year as your gross income, that may mean one thing. If you build all of your rules of thumb off of that, but you're really actually keeping when all is said and done, only 80000 because of taxes, benefits, those kind of things, well, you may be skewing your results or misusing that rule of thumb. Right. And for those who may wonder, what is it that we're doing all day in the background? It's things like this. Mm -hmm. It's taking rules of thumbs and translating them with what's available to you and making it very, very specific. You know, for instance, this whole life insurance and how many times salary is it? You know, I met with someone. He tells me what, what it is. I said, great. That's wonderful. Now give me the document, please. Please. Pretty please. We go through the document, and it shows it's two times base salary. This guy's earning almost double his base salary in bonuses and commissions. Oof. He had been planning on a certain amount of life insurance in his plan that really wasn't there. So, again, by going through, getting the numbers, getting the data, rule of thumbs be damned. I mean, it was about the specifics for them. Mm -hmm. And sitting there with the husband and wife and going through it, we were able to say, here's how we cover that gap. But... For them living and just thinking they were all good, it was a lot different when we really got to the details. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just one example. I mean, another one that, you know, I, I know that I love to talk about here and John likes to poke and prod with me as well is uh, unexpected home expenses. So how you should plan or prepare for those. You know, right now there's a rule of thumb out there that says that you should essentially be saving 1% of your home's fair market value every single year into a sinking fund. Well, if that was the case, my wife and I, we've been in our house for three years now. That would be 
just enough to cover one of the unexpected expenses we had come up this year. Not all of them, not the seven that have crept up at this point. So again, to your point, these rules of thumb, they can be good guidelines for a starting point, but that's just it. It's a starting point. It is not something that we should take to be the gospel, so to speak. And related to this, and it's maybe a myth more than a rule of thumb, but a big myth out there is you've got to buy a home as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about this on a prior show and just thinking about it too, the idea that a home is the greatest source of wealth for most Americans. People tout that and they say that almost as if the home is the way to do that. I think of it that as opposite. That's a bad sign. Most people aren't saving for an emergency, let alone saving for their retirement. So they're stuck that the only thing they may have is the equity in the home. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that it's the single biggest asset for most people, that's not to say it and accept it. That's what we're trying to work towards changing because that's an illiquid asset that requires upkeep, maintenance, property taxes, all the above. So the more you can understand where is my money going, this whole cash flow thing, what do things cost me, what am I saving, you're going to have such a better financial life when you do decide to upgrade that home or replace it. You know, you're going to know you're doing that with confidence even in your 80s and 90s. Absolutely. Yeah, and again, the, the a lot of these things it may seem like we're picking at that we're we're tearing them apart that we're saying they're bad ideas. No. But without understanding your cash flow, you don't know if you're going to be able to not only live there comfortably, but be prepared for the worst case scenario. And again, as much as we want to, you know, hope for the best, we also have to prepare for the worst. And that's where a lot of these things may fall short. Well, Tony, I didn't think we could do it. But sure enough, the joys, the excitement, the blood of financial planning took up this entire show here today. It. Uh, but by all means, we appreciate everyone listening. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN.